So as we begin tonight this talk after a day of practice, um, I'd just like to start with a few thoughts about how to listen to the talk as practice. It's not really time out. And, you know, sometimes the talks are entertaining, and that's usually pretty nice if they are. But it's not a time to stop practicing, actually. It's really a a valuable time in which to see what it's like to stay present while we're speaking, at least for me, and while we're listening for you. And the guideline I like to offer is to really encourage you to be mindful of your body and the breathing. And sometimes I suggest something like, oh, put 100% of your attention on your body. Start there. That's a good place to start. And then notice how that might shift the orientation if you really let the awareness, let the mindfulness begin to seep or soak into the body as you're sitting here. And notice how it's that it begins to create the possibility of staying very present, very embodied, very awake to the life force. And you can also hear me, right? Everybody notice that? That even though I say put 100% of your attention on your body, if the mic's working and the, our ears are working or if the, the devices to help our ears are working, then we hear. We don't have to do the hearing. And then the second piece, which is a little more, a little added complexity, is to, as you're feeling your body, as you're sensing your body or the contact with the cushion or with the chair, or your hands touching. If you look in my direction, (coughs) while you're sensing your body, while you're staying mindful of the body, present in the body, I appear, even with some friends around. You don't have to do the looking. In other words, if the body's basically functioning, the hearing happens, the seeing happens. Where we want to make a little bit of effort is to stay present with the physicality in which the seeing and hearing happens through. And then to play with that as we go through the talk, to see what it's like to stay present, we'll forget. Maybe you know, the talk will be really interesting and you'll get kind of caught up in the ideas or maybe it'll be really boring and you'll get caught up in your own ideas. And then maybe I'll remind you or you'll remember, oh, it's, I can practice now. And, it's a, and this is particularly relevant. I like to say this a little bit almost in every talk I give. But it's quite relevant uh, right now, given I want to speak to um, what we're doing here, what we've been doing here today as we begin the retreat, as we start a retreat, and as we begin to gather ourselves and collect ourselves and compose ourselves and settle ourselves here using our body, using this form of aliveness that has been given to us that is our birthright, or somehow magically this, this conscious living organism that we are. And I want to focus, mostly I'll focus on mindfulness of breathing, anapanasati, which is one of the, um, one of many techniques or practices that the Buddha outlined in terms of how to begin, where to begin. This is really the first foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of the body. This is the ground. This is the root for us. This is where we begin to um, 
plant ourselves in the Dharma. This is where we begin to develop the means through which the Dharma will reveal itself to us by getting here, by getting present. And it's a mindfulness of breathing is a upaya, is a skillful means, a tool that allows us to build or collect ourselves or compose ourselves um, so that there's a sense of wholeness here, that there we begin to concentrate or develop what's called in Buddhism samadhi, which is probably a better word than concentration, but a sense of collectedness. And it lays the groundwork for insight to reveal itself, even as insights will reveal themselves as we begin to um, learn the art of practice, the art of being present, the art of gathering the attention and settling here, centering here, unifying ourselves, as Kitty Sarah was saying this morning. One of the terms I like to describe concentration is mahagatam chitta, chittam, mahagatam chittam, which means an enlarged awareness, an enlarged awareness, a full awareness. It's a little different than we usually think about concentration. We often think of concentration as a narrowing or a focusing in a certain way. But if you look in the dictionary, one of the definitions of concentration is the point around which a circle is drawn the point around which a circle is drawn. And so we want to begin to center and stay open, that we don't center to hide or get away or, or try to keep things away, as, as Kitty Sarah was saying today, but we center in order to open. We, we begin to find our center, and then that circle is very big, that we can start to be present, here, have a sense of wholeness with whatever comes when we start to get concentrated or collected or the samadhi begins to develop. So even as we use, some of us like to be mindful of the breath, maybe at the nostrils or some people at the chest or some people at the belly. And that's fine. It's also very helpful to let the awareness be relaxed. Even as there's a center, we don't have to keep things away or keep things out or try to hide ourselves in that center. That we can use that center to be very open to the experience of sitting here, the experience of being present, and in that way be mindful of the whole body. The whole body is breathing. And there may be um, centers that are more um, sensitive or more um, uh, almost like a coagulation of, of attention um, that then the attention spreads from there also. And the other way I, you know, this was again what Kitty Sarah was saying this morning in the instructions, it's like bathing in the breathing. And even as we bathe in the breathing, there might be certain currents that are very strong. And so we're really aware of them and they may center our attention as we bathe in the breath, as we let ourselves fully immerse in the breathing, let the breathing saturate us, soak us, let our awareness be filled with the breath. And even now, as we're sitting here, it really be, can be very interesting and very um, helpful to keep letting the breath soak in as you, as you listen. One of the other ways concentration is understood in English is, is like um, orange juice concentrate, right? It means to distill down to the essence of something. And um, 
the way I understand that when we begin to concentrate is the concentration or the sense of collectedness or wholeness begins to allow our experience to refine from more a gross level to a more refined level of experience, more subtle levels of experience, more sublime levels of experience, so that the concentration does reveal an essence to it, the essence of who and what we are ultimately. Concentration also means from the dictionary, to draw together, to collect, to assemble. And this is really the movement towards unification of mind and body coming together with the breathing. So often our minds and our bodies are in two different places, sometimes two different worlds, or two different universes, or two different... uh, eras of our life, you know, our bodies here and it's 2007 and our minds back in, you know, 1994. And so the breath then becomes this medium, this vehicle to help bring us here, bring us together, unify ourselves. And one of the reasons I find samadhi, which has many different translations. Often we translate it here as, as unification of mind or unification of body and mind. Um, um, one of the reasons concentration is difficult or problematic is because we have a lot of baggage with that word, concentrate. How many people ever were, were reprimanded for not being concentrated? You know, if you don't concentrate on your schoolwork, you're never going to graduate from kindergarten, you know, or whatever it was, fifth grade or twelfth grade or college. Or, you, you know, you better really focus and get concentrated or something bad's going to happen. And so the whole feeling of concentration is one of a tension or a tightness or an uptightness or something wrong. Uh, sometimes people associate concentration with kind of muscular effort or strain or striving or pressure. And it's not, it's not the concentration of samadhi. It's one of the misunderstandings of concentration in, contempl- in the contemplative art of meditation. The, the concentration of, of samadhi is one of actually a deeper and deeper relaxing, letting go, releasing, opening, allowing, surrendering. It's actually a very sensual practice, samadhi, to be with the breath, let the breath fill us and, and uh, move through us and uh, not even know what a breath is, but feel the um, lightness of it or the robustness of it or the fullness of the breath or the... Um, uh, or the delicacy of a breath, or the the it's so delicate at times it's like uh, a bubble in on water. It's that, it, and and so our and our consciousness can refine as we let the breath permeate us and let our consciousness permeate the breathing. And then, of course, sometimes it's really gross, really big. It's so big we think. Sometimes, and this happens, really happens, if you've never had it happen, you start to take an in-breath, you think, oh my God, it's never going to end. It's so big. Or the out-breath, it just keeps going and going. Or sometimes in the breathing, it just stops, and you're just waiting, and it's just like, wow, well, let's start again. Or not. So instead of this concentrating, tensing, focusing, pressuring, it's this quality of relaxation, of easing or gladdening is much more supportive of the development of samadhi, of gatheredness and of unification. When I first did... uh, um, 
a metta retreat, the first time I ever did a metta retreat, which is a concentration practice. Um, I was starting to get settled after a few days or a week, and, a, and I was starting to stretch my times, getting up earlier and staying up later, and, and I was pushing it because I knew how to strive. I was a good striver. And um, the teacher looked at me at some point. He said, oh, you know, this is a little different than the mindfulness. You don't, you don't have to push it. I'm like, I don't have to push it? Oh, my God. What do you do then? He said, within the context of the retreat, do whatever gladdens your heart, which is maybe my favorite meditation instruction of all time. <laughs> right? I mean, he said, you know, he didn't mean just, you know, go down to Woodacre and go get a latte. <laughs> but he did mean, within the context of the sitting and the walking and doing the metta practice, do whatever gladdens your heart. And I, I just, really, even now, I love that instruction. I love that. I love to just put it in the room. I want you to consider that as an instruction. Do what gladdens your heart. Because part of the reason that instruction, it's not just to make you, us feel good. And that may be reason enough, though, I have to say. But, um, but it's a support for concentration. It's a support for the deepening of samadhi. That our sense of happiness or well-being or lightheartedness actually supports the arising and the deepening of samadhi. And so one of, my, one of the ways I translate that personally on a retreat is as I move through my day, sitting and walking and all the in-between times, one of the ways I skillfully use thought is to use this thought. What, what, what would it be like to relax into this moment now? Whatever this moment is bringing. If I'm, you know, if I'm mad, what would it be like to relax with the anger? Not to make it go away, but to actually relax with it, open to it. Or what would it be like to relax while I brush my teeth? Or what would it be like to relax even when, oh, I forgot a part of the talk and I'm running back to the room to get it? And that's, that's the inner coach speaking, to see, well, what is it like? What will allow me to stay present and relax and be here? And of course, the other, there's more questions. What supports the sense of ease right now? What supports the sense of gladdening within the context of the retreat? And even right now, you can ask yourself that question. What, what, what's it like to relax wherever you are with the talk, with your breath right now, with your body right now? Not having to do it right. You don't have to do it right. Not have to report to anybody. You don't you not even have to tell anybody what's happening. You can just be with what's exactly here and just see what it's like to relax. Even letting go of the idea about what relaxing should look like. And then breathe into that. So, anapanasati, anapanasati, mindfulness of the in and out breath, the in and out breathing. So I said this is one of the upayas or skillful means of the Buddha. And it's really part of the training of the art and science of meditation practice. And the first, the first teachings in anapanasati are, are, you know, Breathing in long, one knows one is breathing in long. Or breathing in short, one knows one is breathing in short. Or breathing out short, one knows. So the first teachings are about knowing, knowing what's happening, whether it's long or whether it's short, and being with it as it is, not doing anything about it. If the breath is short, it's fine the breath is long, it's fine. It's a training to be with things as they are through this very simple 
ordinary, everyday, magical, mysterious breath that keeps us alive. And so we, we focus on one thing, on the breathing, because it becomes a doorway to learning how to be with every moment as it is, every experience as it is. It's the training or the training wheels to really begin. And so we learn how to be a little bit non-judgmental of our experience. We're not judging the breath here. We're not evaluating it. We're just letting it be. And we're learning that skill of, so that we can then be with our other experiences and let them be without judging them. And so we're undercutting the pejorative judgment that's pandemic for uh, most people I know of judging their experience. It's not right, it should be this, it shouldn't be that, or it should be like, like uh, Tanisra's having, or it should be like somebody else. or All these ideas, all this judgment, doesn't, it's not, there's nothing about that in the Anapanasana Sati Sutta as it begins. And all we're learning to do is simply stay present with this um, aliveness that breathes us, that is breathing. That's all we're doing. It's very simple. Of course, that's why it's not so easy, because it's so simple. Our minds, our hearts, we're not quite used to the simplicity of presence like this. What was that? Wasn't there a book, The Incredible Lightness of Being? You know, it's the incredible simplicity of being. We're not used to, to we, we usually, especially coming in from our daily life, it'll take a while for the gross level to begin to relax so that we can start to be with the simple level of being present here and now. Now, how many people notice that they couldn't just stay with their breath all day? <laughs> Okay, good, you're very observant. <laughs> so this is one of the important parts of Anapanasati that's really more implicit than explicit, right? What do we notice? We go to just, okay, I'm just going to be with the breath. The instruction is simple. I'm just going to spend the day collecting myself. And we're everywhere else. And so what Anapanasati offers us as the movement towards unifying our experience, one of the benefits of, uni- of, of moving towards unification is seeing the lack of unification, is seeing the diversity of our minds. <laughs> the, I don't know if that's a great way to say it, but we're really seeing all the things our minds do rather than actually stay present all the thoughts, all the memories, all the reactivity, all the heartaches or pains or griefs or, or fears or angers or all the you know, plans and memories and wanting and wishing and et cetera, et cetera. And we want to see that. This is one of the benefits of Anapanasati. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a really a win-win situation here. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it is. It is a win-win. We don't want to judge all that thinking or going or distractedness or tiredness or agitation. That's not... We want to see what's true. And Anapanasati heightens that. It clarifies it. And so it's a support both for collecting ourselves and seeing what keeps us from being collected, what keeps us from being gathered. One of the characteristics of this first beginning part of Anapanasati is we're beginning to develop a receptivity, receiving the breath, receiving all of our experience, right? We're developing that point around which all of our experience is drawn. And so we develop receptivity, allowing, patience, acceptance, kindness because it, it's it you know if we start getting tight with ourselves as somebody said I'm ready to leave right 
How many people had that feeling today at some point? Yeah, a few people. More than a few. As we move towards the breath itself, as we start to receive the breath, the breath energy and sensations, and let our, our consciousness begin to meld and mingle with that whole experience that we call breathing, the movement and the uh, uh, fullness and then the uh, depletion and the letting go and the releasing. To stay present calls for a certain kind of uh, curiosity. And the curiosity, it's not an intellectual curiosity. It's, it's much more a kinesthetic curiosity. What does this breath right now actually feel like? And we're not looking for a cognitive answer. We're looking for the somatic, visceral, alive experience. What does this breath feel like? What does it taste like? How soft is it? How full? How uh, effervescent is it? How clunky it might be or tight, whatever it is. So there's no right answer. And even the cognitive knowing is secondary to the direct experience. We want to lead with the direct experience of our body breathing. And then if there's some words that acknowledge that directly, great. Or if not, simply we can just know that we're breathing. You don't have to say, you know, subtle or small or or effervescent or delicate or anything. Although those words may come naturally as we stay very present because the wakefulness knows what it's knowing. But it's a contactful mindfulness. It's not a mind sitting up, up there looking. It's, it's, it is the movement towards unification. It's unifying the body and mind through the direct experience. It's one way I think about it. It's, it's very intimate, actually, to, to really be with our breath. It's maybe one of the most intimate experiences to, to just be with our breathing and our body and the liveness that's here. And especially if we can bring one of the, you know, the root of the word intimacy is intus, which means of the hidden, of the hidden. Always with intimacy, real intimacy, there is the mystery there. There is something unknown. And so if we can begin to lead with that not knowing and start to open to the breath and not even know what a breath is, then the intimacy starts to reveal itself. The unification, the becoming one or becoming whole. And the pleasure of that. This is a pleasurable experience. When we start to settle and sink and relax and get here and not be um, fragmented, it's pleasurable, it's good, it's wholesome, it's, it's delicious actually to be here. And of course all the things that keep us from that will keep showing themselves and we want to see them and we want to hold them with the same kindness that we're holding the breath, the same sensitivity because it'll, it will allow them to relax and we can keep settling into that sense of concentration as the essence of what's here. This is from Thich Nhat Hanh. He says, our breath is the bridge from our body to our mind, the element which reconciles our body and mind and which makes possible oneness of body and mind. Breath is aligned to both body and mind, and it alone is the tool which can bring them both together, bringing the power of concentration, illuminating both, and bringing both peacefulness and calm.
And there's something about our own, as we start to touch the breath and the body and the mind, they start to come together in this way. There's something about our own value, our own preciousness of what's here. I think I I, I can't remember anymore what I said where, so you'll excuse me if I'm repeating myself. I might have said this yesterday. <laughs> but um, precious human birth, did I mention that? No, good. Yes, I'll mention. Pardon? No, Sunday. Sunday. See, Tamisra is remembering <laughs> for me. Thank you. Um, there's a phrase you'll find in Buddhism called precious human birth, that there's something precious about us that, that is so important, so valued in Buddhism. And it's not our accomplishments. It's not what we might have done or our personalities or our looks. Or It's so innate, our preciousness, this aliveness that's here. And we're simply moving towards what's precious here. And it's precious no matter how bad a meditator you are. <laughs> your, accomplish, your meditative accomplishments can't touch that. Or maybe I should say your meditative failures can't touch that. <laughs> uh, it's great. It's one of the best things. Is, is our actual this beautiful mystery of us being here, breathing, for this short period of time. And I don't mean the retreat, you know. Uh, so this has been mindfulness of the breathing, mindfulness of breath, we, I've been talking about. And that's how Anapanasati begins. And then there's a shift in the teaching, a shift in emphasis. It goes from mindfulness of breathing to mindfulness with breathing. I forgot something else I was going to read. Um, and it basically, instead of um, noting, you know, being aware or knowing the breath as it goes in or knowing the breath as it goes out, then we start to know the breath. Um, um, we start to breathe, and the breath is being used. We're aware of the body now. We're becoming sensitive to the body. We're breathing with the body. Or we're being sensitive to the mind, and we're breathing with the mind. We're not simply being aware of the breath, although we're aware of the breath. We're using the breath to become sensitive to our experience. And then it goes on and on, opening the experience to being sensitive to rapture, or sensitive to happiness, and et cetera, et cetera. And I think of this as the breath as an ally here. It's not simply, not only, first it's being used to teach us or train us to be present and mindful. And then now the breath, the power of the breath begins to show itself. That there's a power, we can use the breath and it becomes a friend. And so when you're having a difficult experience, Notice what it's like to breathe with it. You know, maybe there's, there's heartache of some kind. Grief is here. You've come on retreat and you've lost somebody. And the grief is, you know, it's clear. The grief is what's here. The breath is, you know, you're doing your best to be with the breath. At certain points, the waves of grief come very strongly. Breathe with the grief. You don't have to leave the breath behind. But you don't, you can't deny, we don't want to deny the grief. It's what's true. And so then we can breathe with it. And the breath becomes a friend. It becomes an ally. It becomes a way to help balance within the midst of what's difficult. It becomes a way to calm ourselves with what's difficult. It becomes a way to help us open to what's hard to open to. So maybe, um, maybe physical pain. A number of people in the interviews had physical pain. Breathe with it. Breathe into it. Let the breath be a friend. Let the breath massage you. Let it caress you in that way. Don't just, you know, it's very helpful to work with the pain going towards it, 
Don't leave your friends behind as you go towards it. Use the breathing as part of that. And of course, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's part of the inquiry of practice. What is it like to breathe with the sadness when you're sad? What, it's like, what is it like to breathe when you're feeling tired um, and, and kind of spaced out and foggy? What happens when you breathe with that? Or if you're restless and agitated and irritated, what happens when you breathe with it? And you're not, you're not, not even trying to make it go away. Just using the breath to help stay present. Or if you're feeling a lot of doubt about breathing here, don't just go off with the doubt by yourself. Bring your friend. Bring the breath. Breathe with the doubt. Or if you want something or you don't want something, and it's strong aversion or desire, see what happens if you breathe with it. And of course, one of the best places, mind states to breathe with is when you feel unconcentrated, which is often one of the hardest mind states for people to stay present with, right? Just by its nature. But then you can feel, you'll feel distracted and breathe with the distractedness. And of course, there's the other side of our experience, which is at some point you'll start to feel calm or peaceful or at ease or relaxed or open. Don't leave the breath behind. See what it's like. See what the breath is like there. See what happens if you keep including the breath, letting it mingle and mix with the calm or the, or the openness or the relaxing. Sometimes, sometimes they'll just become like one thing. Who knows? Let's see. And so we're beginning now to cultivate a certain kind of attitude with the breathing, which is, I find, much better than trying to get concentrated or working hard to get concentrated or striving or straining. It's more the flavor of devoting ourselves to the breath. Devoting ourselves to the breath. Using the breath skillfully when needed and then just following it when needed. And it's, it's like a dance. Sometimes you do, everything starts to come, so you just be with the breath and let it deepen everything. Sometimes things are difficult and hard, and so the breath becomes our friend. It, it helps. Um, it, it's like the surfboard through a big wave. In the, one of the teachings on mindfulness of the body, uh, the Buddha talks about using the breath in the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, and calming and relaxing. And, and then as things begin to let go, in the Buddha's words, memories and resolves related to the householder life are abandoned. Right? Whatever you've come in with, it'll, it'll start to fall away. It'll start to lose its uh, charge, its cathexis. It won't, won't feel so, so plugged into you as we start to go through our days. It'll fall, fall away or get more transparent, whatever our concerns have been or worries, to some extent, not totally. But what happens in the way the Buddha describes samadhi here, he says, He says, the mind gathers and settles inwardly, grows unified and centered. This is how a practitioner develops mindfulness immersed in the body. And I just love that, that that it settles inwardly, grows unified and centered. And this is the movement of meditation, is a movement to being centered. Medi means center. And it said uh, in the Latin, it means uh, it's a passive voice. So it means being moved to meditate is to be moved to the center, the center of our being, the essence of our being, that, that orange juice concentrate of our being.
one of the concerns that sometimes come up for people, and maybe it's not here yet, but I, I like to name it, is it can get very pleasurable to be with the breathing. It can be really delightful and delicious, as I said. Sometimes people think, oh, I shouldn't enjoy this too much. I'll get attached. This is, this is called Buddhist superego. <laughs> this is Buddhist, a certain kind of spiritual judgment or, or worry. And maybe you'll get attached. That's possible. I mean, that can happen. But I'm not worried about it, just so you know. If, if it starts to become pleasurable or delightful or delicious or enjoyable, go with it. See where it takes you. See how much joy or delight or pleasure you can tolerate. <laughs> and, it, and you can go as far as you can go with this. Because if you get attached, actually the pleasure will go away. The joy will go away. You'll, you'll suffer. And so there's a kind of natural... Uh, coming back to homeostasis, that's not the right way to say it. There's a natural barometer, really. That, that one of the paradoxes of the deepening of samadhi, even knowing what's possible, and aiming towards being collected, is it takes our letting go and really opening to what's true. And working with the skills we know, but not fighting with the truth of what's here. There are many ways, many, many um, different little skillful means that help support the development. You know, when you come in, when you start your sitting, see what helps you, what supports you. For some people, they just start with the form, with being mindful of the whole body sitting here. Even before they feel the breath, they feel the posture. And then as the posture becomes uh, begins to fill the awareness, then the breath kind of automatically will show itself because the body's already breathing. And that's one way you can start to practice as you work with Anapanasati. Some people like to, as uh, Kitty Sarah was saying, um, use certain words that help. Skillful use of thought, like here or now. Or the two words I like are aim and sustain. Kind of aiming the attention with the breath. And then just see if I can sustain my attention throughout each nuance of the in-breath. And then aim again at the beginning of the out-breath. And this is not aiming like a bow and arrow. That's not how I aim. I aim more like uh, how I would put my hand to, uh, to touch a baby. That's, that's what I mean by, and then letting that touch be very sensitive, like we would to a baby, but, but continuous. And then sometimes it's helpful to note the breath. And again, this is just another version of uh, skillful thought. So naming in, out, or rising, falling, as it's happening, as a way to help support bringing body and mind together. Sometimes when it's hard to, to gather myself, and I really want to, I count the breaths. And that helps. Works actually pretty well. Some people like to count to, you know, as high as they get, or some people go 1 to 10, or, you know, and then 1 to 11, and then 1 to 12, or some people count down from 10 to 1, and then 11 to 1, and etc. And you, it doesn't matter. It's just the counting is a simple technique, again, to support staying present with the breath as it is. It's, I don't find it so helpful to force it at all. I did at some points in my practice when I was younger in practice I was a little 
macho <laughs> about practice. And I used to be very willful. That's really the, the right term, really well. I'm going to stay with the breath. I don't care what. One time I did that, I was paying attention at the nostrils. And it was like I was riding a horse, you know, a fucking bronco. And I'm going to stay, and I'm going to stay. And I'm really just using all my will. And I'm sitting there. All of a sudden, my nose started moving all over my face. At least that's how it felt while it was happening. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stay with it. It's moving all over. And I did. It was, you know, and I, I was tired afterwards, but I did it. And I went and told the teacher, and they looked at me. <laughs> and the teacher said, oh, in, the, in the text, they talk about just rubbing the breath very gently, you know, rubbing. She was trying to help, help move me to another possibility. Uh, the last aspects of the breath I would like to talk about are a little bit about how powerful it is to be mindful of the breathing. It can take you all the way to enlightenment, mindfulness of the breathing. Even though we start with it and we're talking about gathering and simply being present, it can take you all the way, this simple practice to freedom. And, you know, the word breath is the same as the word spirit. That the word spirit um, um, uh, or breath, I, you know, I can't remember which it is. If you look at the definition of breath, it says spirit or vitality, life. And then if you look at the word spirit, from the Latin, it meant to breathe. That this is our connection. This is the essence, in some sense, of what we are. This totally invisible, <coughs> ungrabbable, unholdable, unfixable reality, aliveness that's here. And it's powerful to learn the skillful means of anapanasati. It can take us all the way to enlightenment, and it can be one of the supports that will come with us as long as we are breathing, as long as we are alive. And I'll read you a story I just found. It was in a yoga journal see if I can get the woman's name. Her name is Alison Wright. She was a photographer. And she's writing about this as she was circling, or right after she was circling Mount Kailash, she was doing a circumambulation, which actually Kitty Sarah and Tanisara have done. It's a spiritual journey. And she said, four years and 20 surgeries before my Kailash journey a logging truck screeched around a corner on a remote Laotian jungle road and slammed into the bus I was riding. My left arm was shredded to the bone as it smashed through the window. My back, pelvis, tailbone, and ribs snapped immediately. My spleen was sliced in half, and my heart, stomach, and intestines were ripped out of place and pushed up into my shoulder. With my lungs collapsed and my diaphragm punctured, I could barely breathe. I was bleeding to death inside and out, and it would be more than 14 hours before I received real medical care. A practicing Buddhist, I had been headed to a meditation retreat in India where I had planned to sit for three silent weeks. Instead, I lay crushed and bleeding at the side of the road. Struggling to draw air, I imagined each breath to be my last. Breathing in, breathing out, consciously willing myself not to die, I concentrated on the life force fighting its way into my lungs. Along with my breath, the pain became my anchor. As long as I could feel it, I knew I was alive. I thought back to the hours I had sat in meditation, fixated on the sensation of my leg falling asleep. 
that discomfort could hardly compare to the torment from my injuries, but I discovered that meditating could still help me focus and remain alert, and I'm convinced it saved my life. I'll read you just a little bit more. She said, I'm convinced it saved my life. I managed to calm myself, slowing my heart rate and the bleeding, and I never lost consciousness or went into deep shock. In fact, I never felt so aware, so clear-headed, and completely in the present moment. Don't underestimate at all what we're doing here, even the first day of a retreat. Don't underestimate the power of what we're doing here and the goodness of what we're doing here and the value. No matter how scattered you've been, no matter how painful it's been, no matter how, um, how much the first day hasn't met your expectations, don't est- underestimate what's happening here. Let's sit for a minute, please. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll um, have about a half an hour for a walking meditation now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.